Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome to the very first episode of Creative Income. I am very excited to launch this podcast. Uh, it's a weird thing for me. I'm This is not my space. I'm a cinematographer. I shoot films. I shoot commercials. Uh, that's where I'm in my element. So sitting in front of a microphone for me is a little bit awkward for right now. I'm hoping that that changes in the future. Uh, Royce is the man. You're going to freaking love this episode. Royce is a filmmaker. Um, I actually met him shooting a project called Mad Genius. I was his cinematographer. Uh, he uses the equity of his income property uh, to convince some investors to give him money to finance the production of the film. Uh, he uh, finds an old friend that has a warehouse that he wants to use in the film and convinces him to let him live there and pay rent in exchange for shooting in this where I mean, the, the guy's beyond brilliant in, in terms of getting what he needs on a micro budget. Enjoy the episode. Are we live? We're live, dude. <laughs> we're doing it live. All right, we're on. Yeah, so why don't we uh, just go ahead and introduce yourself, let the, let the listeners know who you are, what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Royce Gorsuch, and I've worked in uh, the film business for 10 years. Uh, I started as a, an assistant editor. Uh, then when I decided I didn't want to live in a cave my whole life, uh, I went out and uh, brazenly started directing spec commercials <laughs> in Montana and, uh, that, Montana. Yeah. In Montana, I was living in Montana after college and I got this phone call from, uh, the vice president of the wounded warriors foundation. And he lives in Montana and had seen, um, one of my student shorts, a documentary I had made. And he said, Hey, we want you to bid on a fundraising video that we're doing. And so I said, okay. And at the time I'm 22 years old, you know, and I, I knew how a production company worked cause I had worked at one. Uh, but I essentially bid and I won the job and to my amazement, I think I like to tell myself it was because of my pitch that I told them that they didn't need to make a fundraising film, that they needed to make a documentary. But I think I probably won on price. <laughs> yeah, that's probably yeah. Do, do you mind? What was the the total bid? The total bid was fifteen thousand dollars. What was the amount of work that was to put into it? Uh, and at least an entire month. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not bad though. 15, yeah. Like 15 grand for a month's worth of work? I didn't take 15 home myself. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember Do you remember kind of the breakdown of the numbers at all? Or I I was the producer, director, editor. Okay. And I had a cameraman uh, and a field sound mixer and a composer. And that was the totality of the team. Okay. And then also on top of my budget, uh, the foundation provided like all of the locations, nice. the talent, uh, transportation and food and, and such. Okay. So, so what was, do you remember what your take home was? I think that I personally took home about $7,000 okay. for 
producing, directing, and editing. <laughs> so you'd probably bid it a little bit differently if you were to do it again today? Yeah. Okay, cool. Do you, do you remember, do you, did you get any work directly um, from your specs that you, that you shot or uh, that you directed? I can say I got a little bit of work. I think more than direct lineage work, I, I got interest from people. Mm. And I was able to show producers you know, that I had some talent. Uh, it didn't make them immediately go, oh, we have to hire you to do this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Wounded Warriors film really launched me. Uh, it won, it raised a ton of money. Like, that was like the best ROI commercial probably ever made. Oh, wow. <laughs> because they raised like millions of dollars on my tiny little film. And um, it also launched me and I won an award from the Annenberg Foundation uh, here in LA. And, you know, they're a, kind of a little known nonprofit, but they, they have an entire floor in the CAA building. So that should give you perspective of how like robust these people are. So that really connected me with a lot of producers. And at the time I had unbeknownst to myself made uh, something that was becoming a sort of piece of nomenclature and advertising known as branded content. Mm, the documentary style. Exactly. Yeah. And I had made a story about an organization mm -hmm. and I wasn't selling their product. I wasn't, again, I didn't say like, this is a fundraising film. It was like, this is our story. Mm -hmm. And by telling their story, then they got money. What year was that? That was 2009. Yeah. yeah. That was way before. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... I was for on, a minute. For a minute there, you turn on the TV and it was like really depressing. Like dad, daughter on a train. Like what's happening? What's going to go on? And it's like brought to you by Sharpie. It's like, <laughs> like yeah. make the moment last. Yeah, <laughs> I was on the front of that wave for yeah. sure. And and I got with a group of young filmmakers uh, who were doing that kind of stuff. And they had uh, a, a company that was like a digital agency production company and they were doing a ton of work for Procter and Gamble and mm. sort of like big kind of middle America brands and uh, I started doing a lot of work for them okay. so that was sort of my first five years in LA I was doing branded content mostly doc style stuff and then I started graduating into more um, live action and visual effects integrated stuff and then uh, you know, I hit a glass ceiling and it all came crashing down. <laughs> well, so it was, and what do you mean? Like, did your career just not continue to blossom and you made millions of dollars and the story ended and, and yeah. you walked away with the girl and the car and the house and everything? Like, what happened? Uh, well, so I was, I was making branded content. Um, you know, branded content, albeit popular and in demand, didn't pay a ton of money, mm -hmm. right? Even with these huge brands, I mean, we're doing Procter and Gamble, you know, X, Y, Z, and you know, I, I was doing okay. I was making money, but I wasn't like, you know, buying a house in Malibu. Sure. So, I I wanted to kind of get into the old model because I had some mentors from the old model who. They do have the house in Malibu, and <laughs> yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, that's obviously you know where my next step is, is to become a represented director uh, at a production company. 
who, you know, then sells me and then we get work and I get paid, you know, $10,000 a shoot and, you know, hopefully I'm doing one a month and, and like life is gravy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did get represented by a company. I was up for a few and chose one that was actually a new company, but there was sort of a, a spinoff of a major media brand. And at the time it made a lot of sense. I thought I'd have this 800 pound gorilla brand behind me. Um, which would help because I was so young. But then uh, what I discovered later was that that had no reach in terms of getting other brands to hire them to make content. Mm. Uh, and we basically were servicing the, just the brands in the franchise. And there were only so many of those brands but I was exclusively tied to this company and was unable to work outside of them. And so I really like, I went from my best year doing a series for the Olympics to my worst year doing like two jobs the whole year and really like falling into a little bit of depression because, you know, I, I gain my self worth from what I'm making, and if I'm not making anything, then like, what am I? You know, yeah. kind of feelings. And uh, I really like 2014 was a major uh, sort of, you know, catalyst year where I like had the e brake pulled on me and the parachute ripped, and like <laughs> I'm just kind of stopped in my tracks in a way. Was there along the way where you did you have any side hustles or were you trying to supplement some of that income lost or uh, were you just kind of just riding that wave from the Olympics campaign and, and other uh, shoots that you had already worked? Yeah, you know, financially speaking, um, I was a little bit dumb and naive and I've learned a lot since then. And I think that this year, that year was really pivotal in my how I've treated my life since then financially. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some dumb things and I also did one really, really smart thing. Um, (laughs) so I had made a, you know, I had made a little bit of money, um, and I was looking at what I wanted to do with that money. And this is from years prior doing the branded content, saving money or saving money. Yeah. So, well, so I was making branded content for five years Mm -hmm. and even though it wasn't a ton of money, I was like, it was more than my expenses. So I had saved, uh, about $75,000. Oh, so that's, that's not a very small amount of money for a lot of people. That's actually pretty impressive. (laughs) Yeah. I live very frugally. Um, I don't need a lot of things. I don't, um, you know, I spend my money basically on vacation. That's, I know, I know (laughs) like your Instagram pisses me off so much. It's like, man, you can't, it's like my, and the problem is my wife follows you too. That's the problem. So all the time she's going like, look at like, look at like Royce and Shanti. Like they're out like having vacations, going camping all the time. Why don't we do stuff like that? And I don't have an answer. (laughs) I know. It's like you have to just demand yourself. Yeah. You know, I I also I do like kind of binges and I don't know that it's healthy, but like I'll go for months like at a time working seven days a week. Sure. And then I'll take like two weeks off. Great. Like, for example, like this last June, I literally worked seven days a week. Uh, and then in July, I'm basically taking all of it off. Great. Me too. <laughs> That's five. Yeah. Across the room. So so anyways, um, so I had $75,000. Um, 
I bought a car, so I put $10,000 into a new car, Okay, which is a dumb mm-hmm. thing to do, but I did. Um, I spent money because I had not made much money in 2014, so I was kind of living off that savings as well. Uh, and then what I did was the smart move I made was uh, I bought a rental property uh, outside of L.A., Okay, but you're living in L.A., and you bought... Where did you buy? I was. I was living in L.A., and I had a place with cheap rent. Mm -hmm. So I bought a single-family residential house in uh, the greater Phoenix area in Arizona. Um, I bought there because I had family there, and there was this one particular neighborhood that was just, like, incredible. And essentially, this neighborhood would, was built in 2006. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there were houses there that were a half million dollars in 2007. And then two years later, they were $200,000. Wow. And everyone was foreclosing. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge opportunity, you know. Just on sales, like 50% off, 50, 60% off. Exactly. It's exactly. Like, yeah. And... What I've learned in in my financial education over the last few years is that smart money always buys the opposite of the cycle. Sure. So right now when the stock market's at records and housing prices are at records, smart money is selling. Mm -hmm. They're selling stocks. They're selling houses. They're sitting on cash. They're, They're hoarding cash because they know that the market will turn down and then they'll buy again at the bottom mm-hmm. or as close to the bottom as they can predict. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to sort of do that with my rental property. Okay. So I bought, you know, a house that had once been valued at like 300 something. I bought it with 50 down. Okay. Is that, was that the 20%? Yeah. Or, or but, but it was, it was only, but when I bought it, it was worth 180. Oh, wow. Right. Originally, it was worth way more, but yeah. at the time I bought it, it was worth 180. Okay. So I bought it with 50 down. Um, and then I uh, had a really good realtor. Mm-hmm. A lot of people uh, who are kind of in the, like the do it yourself mode, uh, like try to cut out these really important middlemen because they're expensive. Um, when you're a buyer, a realtor doesn't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. The seller pays that cost. But um, I'm using that same realtor now, and essentially they filled the house vacancy with a tenant. The realtor did. The realtor did. Oh wow! Because I, I made such a good relationship with them, and they did all the background check and all the hard stuff, and and I paid them a commission. Yeah. So, but, so, so, but you're a filmmaker. You're not a real estate investor. Is that right? <laughs> Correct. Okay. So you you just had the one property. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And is that uh, what are you are you cash flowing on that property? Yeah. Um, so I essentially, um, you know, have a mortgage on that property, uh, and I make about two hundred dollars a month on that property. Okay. And the way that it works is that you know the tenant pays the rent to mm-hmm. me direct mm-hmm. deposit. Uh, and then I pay all of the things, you know, the HOA fee, uh, the garbage, you know, whatever. The mortgage. And 
the mortgage, uh, the insurance, um, repairs, and essentially they pay most of the other utilities, etc. Um, so after all those costs are added up, what's left over at the end of every month is two hundred dollars. That's your cash flow. So you're making twenty four hundred bucks a year. Yeah, which basically I look at it like what. What is this eliminating from my life that I don't want to have to pay? And for me, it's my health insurance. Oh, cool. Right? Yeah. So like my health insurance is negated by this building. Yeah. <laughs> right? And you so say- So there's a $50,000 cost up front, but then you don't essentially for as long as you have the property, don't have health insurance to pay for. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And the cash flow has increased over time because I've raised the rent. Mm-hmm. So- Great. Now it's like three to, you know, 300, $350 a month. Awesome. That, Is it the same couple still that lives at the property? Yeah. Five years? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know how to pick them. Yeah. Yeah. Really great. That's incredible. They don't bother me unless there's a, a problem. Um, you know, I go, I go check the house once a year because I have family in the neighborhood and sure. I go to visit them. So it's not like I'm just completely MIA or hands off. I always, you know, check up on it. Okay. So why why do you say that was uh let's let's kind of segue now into the glass ceiling shattered. <laughs> now you've you've gone from your greatest you did an, a campaign for the Olympics, now you you aren't working at all uh or maybe one or two projects a year. Um what do you do then now? Uh, to pivot or transition into making money again? So as I'm going through this process and internalizing it all, um, you know, I'm losing my savings. I'm not making any money. Um, I'm questioning the whole business that I'm in um, and questioning myself. So basically I I was kind of at a fork in in the road in a way where Um, I just didn't know exactly where I wanted to go. So I decided, you know, I look back, I take notes through my whole life and I have like countless journals of ideas and thoughts that I'm always having. And I have these timelines that I create of like mapping out my life. Mm -hmm. And I have one, basically one per journal, like every year I'll do a new map and like the timeline of my life. And basically every single one was like, I made a feature film by the time I was 30. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short. Um, that's what I decided to do. Okay. So I want to, I want to break that down just a little bit. The, the journaling. I mean, I've done, I've done a, a tiny bit of this, but just like on my iPhone notes where I go through and I like make these, like these, uh, quantifiable goals that make that like don't mean anything but for me they're important right and I don't know like there's something about actually writing something down and going back and revisiting it that for me has has been very beneficial in my career and my career has pivoted several times right so I I was doing like I was running a, a venue back in 2014 you know like doing live sound uh, and I 
you know, started doing, that was a 2000, that was a little bit earlier in that, 2011. Then I started doing wedding videos because someone asked me if I did them and I lied and said yes, you know, like, like, and then after that got to the point where I just, I couldn't handle the clients anymore. I was like, I pivot, I sold, sold the wedding video business, took the cash and bought a cinema camera so that I could start, you know, shooting more commercials and narrative projects. It's stuff that I actually, like you said, was really interested in. But, um, but journaling along the way is, uh, even if it's like, like I said, just iPhone notes where you just pull out your phone and you're on a plane bored out of your mind because you don't have internet, you don't have Facebook and just take a moment for yourself and write stuff down so that you can reflect on it later and go, Oh, am I reaching the, these goals, whether they're quantifiable number goals or, uh, you know, relationships or personal things. And I just think that's really important. So that's uh, that's yeah. a good insight. Yeah, absolutely. And I find myself, uh, you know, periodically I'll like get in sort of a mental, you know, uh, maze. And the best way for me to get out of that maze is to write down everything I'm feeling and, and thinking. And I'll do that and I'll just like go off on like a tangent. And then without making any rash decisions, I'll just put the notebook away. And then like a few months later, I'll kind of have those same feelings and I'll look at the notebook and I'll look back and I'll be like, oh my God, I'm feeling the exact same feelings as I was three yeah. months ago. So now I obviously need to make a major change. So that I'm not stagnant. So that I'm not going to do this forever. And if I don't have the same feelings as I did three months ago, then obviously that was like a momentary okay. thing. Oh, fascinating. Right? And I don't do this like, you know, I don't do this by the clock every three months. I like look in my <laughs> notebook, but it's just, it sort of happens on a, off of a feeling. Um, you know, so you made a feature film. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And, and on your own terms, did you get uh, funding out, outside of your your own? I mean, how did you do it? Yeah. Everybody wants to make a movie, Royce. <laughs> but yeah. you actually like made one. Yeah. Well, it's it's a pretty lengthy story that I'll try to summarize. But, uh, you know, 2014, bad year, beginning of 2015, I knew I needed a major life decision. And it, the, basically the choice was uh, make some more new spec commercial work that is like of a really high caliber and get in the game mm -hmm. and break through the glass ceiling or make a movie. <laughs> Those were my sort of two options that I had in front of me for where I was at. Uh, the third, of course, is like do something else. but <laughs> Become an accountant. <laughs> yeah. So... I, uh, I chose to make a film and I had a script that I had written many years before that was just on a shelf, but it was always kind of the one in the back of my mind. Like I was like, that's the one I'll make of my own merit. It's sort of like a pie or a primer, you know, or the following. George, the simp kind of, well, I, I wouldn't say this was a simple, I mean, pie was simple because it's like one location, you know, and you get a, a good set designer and you're done. You know, so that's, that's, this is not a pie, Royce. <laughs> I don't want people to get uh, the wrong idea of what uh, uh, this film was. But it, it's definitely, I mean, you watch it and it doesn't feel like a pie. Yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Maybe to its own detriment sometimes, but. Sure. <laughs> I, yeah, it, the intention was to make a pie-ish kind of okay. thing. And um, it turned out to just like exponentially grow on itself to become this amazing 
you know, high production value piece. But so 2015 starts. Um, I had the script that I had written a while ago. Um, I knew where it should be set. And it was in the warehouse district of downtown LA, which I had come across through my commercial work and through being involved with a, uh, basically a data scientist entrepreneur who introduced me to all these hackers who live downtown. Hmm. So I kind of was in this world and it was like, wow, that's where the movie is set. And the movie is called Mad Genius. And it's about a young uh, mad genius trying to hack the human brain, like computer code and uh, fix humanity. Uh, and ultimately, you realize that just CRISPR human problems out, right? Yeah, exactly, okay, yeah. exactly. Gene edit that <laughs> yeah, brain out. Sure, you know, get rid of those problems. Uh, but along the way of the story, you realize that the protagonist who's doing this is a madman, and he's trying to fix himself. Mm. So it's a it's a really interesting, ironic story. Uh, but it was the idea was to make it very contained, right? <laughs> and so I'm I'm I call my friend he. He's this incredible designer, and he created a uh, artist live work community in a loft in like a old like sewing factory in downtown LA. And I say, dude, I know that I haven't talked to you for a year, but I'm gonna make this crazy little movie, and I'd love to move into your place because I'd love to shoot it there. It's amazing. So he says, well, serendipitously, I have a room available. Well. So next thing I know, I'm moving into this warehouse and uh, Jared Johnson was the creator of this space uh, called Dear Raymer and I moved into my room and he's just the most amazing mad genius himself and the community there, uh, Ian and Daniel and Greg um, were all just these incredible artists of different kinds um, and we started just hanging out and mulling around and I started rewriting the script. So flash forward like three months later, I have a script that I think is good. And I, I had made this decision. I was going to do this movie basically at no matter what, like that was the choice I made and whether I was going to shoot it on my iPhone or I was going to shoot it on your Alexa. <laughs> like I had made this choice. I was going to make this movie. And so that's just what was happening. Cool. So with, when you make that kind of choice, you find that you'll find a way, right? Like yeah. when you jump off the cliff, <laughs> you know, like there's no catching yourself. And that's kind of the decision I made. So I'm doing this and, um, you know, I had a little money. I had the equity in the house. Interesting. Yeah, that's this is what blows my mind. Yeah. And I made some really, really good choices in the beginning, I would say. Um, the first was that I had a little money, and the best thing I did uh, investment-wise to start was that I hired a brilliant casting director, uh, Tinika Becker, who mm -hmm. I had been connected with. Um, I also had proof of funds for a little bit of money based on the equity of the house. So how did you how did you make those numbers work? <laughs> Let's say they were creative. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, all legal I'm assuming? Yes. yes. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. Cre creative create legally creative. Yes, yeah. legally creative. Um, the money the, the equity in the house was not liquid cash, but it was 
It was money. Yeah. So And the home had been appreciating over these years, right? Home had been appreciating. Um, I had been doing good with that. That was a really, really good investment. Because I bought it so low, it's yeah. appreciated so much. Yeah. Right? That's worth so much more. My money that I put in it is worth so much more than what I put in. Mm-hmm. On top of the cash I get every month. Sure. So, basically, I hire Tinica. I have proof of funds, so she's able to show the agents in town um, this full package that I made. We got to have a little bit of money to pay your actors. <laughs> um, it's SAG ultra low budget. Um, for, we, and for those that not aren't necessarily familiar with the film industry, could you explain what SAG, the stipulation for, first of all, SAG is the union that the actors are part of, right? Uh, the, virtually every A-list actor, every B, C, D, E, F uh, actor is on is part of the SAG uh, after union, correct? Yeah. And what are the stipulations to be a SAG ultra low budget film? So SAG has different levels of production to make sure that they're performers are getting paid appropriately to the budget of the film. Okay. And they do that so that people who are huge actors can work on a shitty little movie like mine (laughs) for no money uh, because just because they want to, but at least there's a category for them um, to uh, maintain their union status. Mm-hmm. So SAG ultra low budget is any film with a $250,000 budget or less. Gotcha. Okay. So our film SAG ultra low budget, which means that we can pay or we can offer $125 a day payment. Um, none of the actors were paid that low, fortunately, but like that's the minimum. Wow. I didn't even realize it was that low. Yeah. That's super low. Yeah. Wow. Um, so... I provide Tinica with all these things, script. Uh, I made this insane uh, ripomatic pitch video that was like three minutes long. It took me like two weeks to make. Uh, I cut that together. And uh, you're, I mean, you're not making any money no. doing all this stuff, right? So you're no. just like, there's three months to rewrite the script, two weeks to do this pitch video, and probably endless amounts of hours on the phone with Tinica and all these other people trying to make this thing happen and you're not making any money. No. So what, uh, I mean, I, I, a lot of people, so I, I just, I can't stress how important the, the <laughs> houses, the, the equity. I mean, this buying this house was just like such a smart, smart move, but I mean, and I can't even say that that's like what you should do now. You know, I can't, I'm not going to tell people like, oh yeah, just go out and buy a house in Los Angeles in 2018. It's going to be the greatest move you ever make because you're just going to be like Royce and have a ton of equity in this piece of property that you can fund all your movies with. <laughs> like, but it's, it's about, it's like you said, buying right. And then, I mean, it could be anything. Like if you, if you buy a piece of equipment at the right time, like that could do the same amount of work for you in the future. Yeah. It's about, Really what it's about and what your podcast is about is about creative finance. Yes. And that's, for me, something that I've developed uh, since doing the movie um, and that I'm also really passionate about sharing with creatives and empowering creatives, you know, through financial intelligence, which we both know is a term, you know, from rich dad, poor dad. Sure. And and other sources. But that's really why I wanted to do this podcast. And, and also, you know, we have other things that we're going to launch for creatives in the future to help with creative finance. But um, that's all that's true. And I was making money on the side at the time as an editor. 
Gotcha. So I had a producer that I had known through my branded content work. um, And basically, I saw him at a party. And I was essentially at that point desperate for money. And I said, you know, like, I'm doing this crazy movie. I need something like I can produce, I can edit, (laughs) and you don't need a director. So I can do those two things for you if you have availability. And he said, you know what, we need an editor right now. So cool. I dusted off my editing skills and you just hung up your ego and yeah, went to work. And I went to work on some stuff that, you know, I'll never mention to anyone. <laughs> but I did it. And uh, and made money off of that and they were well-paid jobs. So yeah. like but but I was not making excess money. I was like living, right? Yeah. So that was great. Um, so I, I take my little money, I hire Tinica. We start casting and essentially she brings back just like these amazing actors and I'm sitting there just like, I can't believe that we're getting these, these actors. These people are on major movies, major TV shows, and I'm offering like $5, (laughs) you know, how do I, how are we getting these people? And she said, well, you know, it's the script, it's creative and unique, um, and your pitch packet or your pitch reel, sizzle reel, and the fact that you were a commercial director and you have a reel, you know, that looks decent. Hmm. Long story short, uh, from the financial aspect of all this, uh, you know, the cast, whether you like it or not, as a creative person, are your assets Hmm. of your film. Essentially, when you get into film financing, uh, you know, it really comes down to a few things. It comes down to cast, genre, and then the creative stuff. Like, did you get into a festival? You know, did you, you know, whatever, Hmm. you know, tell the story of like, you know, the societal ill that, you know, (laughs) needed to be righted and all that. So like those are, but really it's like your cast are your assets and your genre is your asset. And then director can be an asset. I was of worth, zero worth in terms of being an asset. So I had these cast. And while, you know, essentially like larger films with multi-million dollar budgets, uh, you know, they need what's called like a bankable actor. You know, they have these formulas where actor values are calculated. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's all it's all very kind of like... Uh, formulaic. Formulaic and... Um, and you would believe you wouldn't believe like how big the actor has to be to be bankable. Like they have to be like superstar, mm. you know. And um, but what we had was like this terrific cast of talented actors, which then allowed me to then uh, basically go and make an insane financing deal. Uh, also using the equity in my rental property. Please break that down. Please, <laughs> please break this down. Okay. Um, okay. So... Because this is this... I mean, I, I just... You, you sent me a little link, uh, the blog that you haven't posted yet. Maybe is if, if you do post it before the show comes out, we'll include it in the show notes. But this is like the greatest... It's It's so brilliant. Please, let's break it down. Okay. <laughs> so I knew I needed approximately $125,000 to shoot the film. Okay. 
Um, and that budget inflated significantly after I got these actors, okay. right? Because prior to that, I was willing to shoot the film on my iPhone mm -hmm. with my buddies or whatever <laughs> just to make this movie. Yeah. But once the, the actors were involved, it was like, this is a real movie, you know? I have to, I have to... Do I what felt, I can't to it's for them, right? Yeah, I felt yeah. obligated that I had to make the I had to give them like what they bought into, right? Um, so essentially, like asking someone for one hundred twenty five thousand dollars cash is just insane. To make a movie, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to make this crazy movie that like may just never get seen or may never be released or like you know who knows what's going to happen with this movie? Sure. Um, so like, this would be like me coming to you if you had $10,000 in the bank and being like, can you give me 1200? <laughs> if, if 10,000 was like, all I had to my name. So, so you're saying like, if, if a millionaire that had a million dollars cash sitting in a bank, is like this whole like net worth, which sounds like a lot of money because it is, you came to him and said, give me 12 and a half percent of that. And like your entire net worth. <laughs> That you've worked your entire life to to hold on to this liquid cash. Yeah. It would be the craziest ask. Yeah. And I knew that was an asshole ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did something like rather, rather in, insane. Uh-huh. Um, so basically, I, I knew a wealthy individual um, who I had met through my meanderings through all of the the connections and relationships I had built over all the years of my With life. Branded content. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to them, what if we could take out a bank loan on my investment property? <laughs> Would you co-sign? And basically what that means is you can get a home equity line of credit on your house mm -hmm. where essentially a bank will give you a second mortgage. mortgage. That you then pay a small interest rate on. Which then you pay, and it can be a variable interest rate, which can screw you. <laughs> Is this coming from experience? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I've negotiated my interest rate to 3%. So. That's amazing. It's so, insane. <laughs> so um, I, I knew this um, through financial education for myself and discussing the topic with, you know, mentors. Basically, mm -hmm. outside of film. Yeah. Like, how could we creatively finance this? So, essentially, this investor, instead of just giving me $100,000 or whatever, they basically had like a lien, you know, over me and co-signed this deal based off of my property, mm -hmm. which I couldn't have gotten without their signature. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. And you couldn't have gotten the deal without the property. Right. So this is uh, full circle now. Right. Huh. So, and worst case scenario, let's say that the, like, everything fails, I fail, like, I get hit by a bus or whatever. The, the co-signer... The film gets hit by a bus. The film the, is the hit hard, by a bus. The hard drive just explodes by a bus, in yeah. fact. The, 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 my co-signer would be responsible for a $500 a month payment on my mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. That would be the worst case scenario. Okay. Right? Yeah. They can handle that. They can handle that. And they could also buy out the mortgage and own the property and have a rental property. Hey, great. Or sell it and make $350,000. Right. Yeah. So 
That was the deal that I did. Crazy. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's pretty uh, gutsy, man. Yeah. And you know, when we talk about creative finance, um, you know, finance for creative people is always like a, a really tumultuous subject. And it was mm-hmm. for me for a long time. And I'm a product of the 2008 crash. Yeah. You know, that's when I graduated college. Yeah, me too. I come out into the worst marketplace ever and I'm trying to be a filmmaker <laughs> and the most disposable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like piece of junk. Oh, you mean the economy's bad? Well, okay. This is what we cut first. Yeah. Entertainment. Gotcha. Yeah. And so I was really sour on just Wall Street and finance people and bankers. And like, to me, they were all evil, poisonous people. Right. And right. I was totally yeah. ill-educated. And since then, I would like to say that all of those opinions were uh, only half true okay. because bankers and Wall Street and finance people um, are human beings and there are equally good and equally bad human beings in every profession on earth. Including filmmaking. Including filmmaking, including Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but, but that event poisoned me and my mindset was incorrect. Interesting. So, like I said earlier, like when I had that money you know, back in, in 2013 and I bought the property. That was a really amazing move. And that that was because I had really good advice from people. Hmm. I did not make that choice because I was some financial genius is because, but but ultimately it was your choice to make. It was my choice. And the one move that I said I did stupid things was when I bought that new car, Mm -hmm. I'm still paying that car off. Crazy. Five years later, I sure. put ten thousand down on it, and you're still paying it off. Where it's like two hundred eighty bucks a month or three hundred bucks a month. Yeah, two thirty yeah. a month. There you go. Yeah, and and okay, it's been a great car. Sure. I love my car. Sure, whatever. But if I had put that ten thousand dollars, this is really a life lesson that I'll never forget and forgive myself for. At that time, Netflix had just put Blockbuster out of business. Uh-huh. So we knew the business model was there. And I had friends at Warner Brothers that I was talking to saying, are you guys prepared for Netflix? They're going to like destroy you. And their answer was, no, the people at the top are not thinking about Netflix. Netflix to them is like an annoying fly <laughs> buzzing around them. Right? Yeah. So I knew the value of Netflix And I knew that Netflix being a Silicon Valley company was going to evolve their business model beyond DVDs and, and really be the only player in this game. And of course, what's happened since then, their stock went from $50 to $400. Mm -hmm. Well, more than, I mean, it's probably in, was it 2013, 14, it was less than $50. Might've been 40. Yeah. So imagine if I had put $10,000 into Netflix stock. Yeah, it'd be worth 80 now. <laughs> it would, yeah. I mean, and that's just like mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Even if you would just, because it, trying to pick stocks is hard, right? Yeah. Yeah, and when we could have we put that money in, in MoviePass, you know? But uh, um, 
tr- so picking stocks is hard. If even if you had put that though in 2013 in an index fund of the entire stock market, you'd still would have doubled your money. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just buy a car that's one or two years old, so you still get that like that luxury feeling of a new car, but you'd save literally that ten thousand dollars. Yeah. And you know, there were a lot of emotional reasons why I did that. I bought that car. It was the first year the make of that car, so there were no used cars of that model. And I tricked myself into thinking that I that was my perfect car and that's what I but the point is is that money Using money to make money and using money to invest can give you so much more creative power because you're not scraping by to make money. Like, for example, you know, I put $10,000 into a car. The car has been productive. It's done a lot for me. It, of course, helps me work. It, of course, does things for me. But in terms of that capital that's in the car being productive for me is non-existent. In fact, it costs me money. Yeah, it's a liability. It takes money from me. It doesn't create me money. Where investing in the house created money and created opportunity that then I was able to leverage and essentially... Into a movie. Into do, like completing... A project you've been wanting to do your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And and if I had just taken the $50,000 and spent it on making a movie without doing this crazy financing scheme. Um, you would have shot it on your iPhone. I wouldn't have. Yeah, I wouldn't, you wouldn't have, have had the actors. I wouldn't have done all these things. And I still own the house today. Wow. Right? Yeah. So... Essentially, instead of having to put down, you know, five, six figures into a movie, now I just pay $500 a month (laughs) to have a six-figure movie. Is the movie making $500 a month? Well, just released. Okay. So, you know, we don't have those numbers until the next quarter. Yeah. But we have certainly made money off of selling it to foreign territories. Okay. Like thousands and thousands of dollars. Great. You know. So yes, technically, as it's been released, it has been making that $500 a month payment, which the equity value or the price value of the house is always increasing. So my money's still growing. Yeah. Do you think more than $500 a month? No. Yeah. Or maybe. I don't know. It's We're in a very, like, that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> yes. The p- housing prices right now are like a whole nother discussion. Sure. Yeah. Sure. S- uh, amazing. It's an incredible story. <laughs> it's, it's, I, it's, when you told it to me, it just blew my mind. I mean, it really did. <laughs> it's like the fact, and, and you got to make your movie. Right. Right. So it's like, talk about creativity, right? That's what, that's what I love so much about this story is that it's like, you used your financial assets to your advantage so that you continue so that you could continue being as creative as you as you wanted and it's your movie i mean you it's like your creative little mad genius and and that's actually how i met you i don't know if we i don't think we met i mentioned that as i was i was fortunate enough to be the cinematographer on the film and it's still one of my favorite projects to date just because there was so much creative freedom for everybody involved you know, the actors the production designer m- myself you know it was like here's here's an environment 
Now go have fun. And, and it was. I mean, it was, we just had a blast making that film. So I, I'm very excited that uh, it's out now. It's called Mad Genius. You can buy it on iTunes. You can rent it on iTunes or Amazon. Um, and I think it's definitely worth checking out. But uh, what, do you do, what do you do now to, to stay afloat? Yeah, so I think that it's definitely worthwhile, you know, to look at the the uh, negatives of my endeavor as well. Yeah, let's uh, talk about them. Financial negatives that you know I I kind of incurred um, by making this choice. So, like I said, you know, I was at the time I decided to do this. I was 29, and I basically, uh, you know, said to myself, "I'm doing this no matter what." <laughs> That was the choice I made. Then when I got the good actors in, on board, then I said, okay, now we're going to really make this thing. And that's when we, I inflated the budget and did my crazy financing scheme. And all this was against the backdrop, however, of knowing that I was still young enough to recover. Hmm. If everything went to like complete kablooey, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was, I was going to be able to like still recover from this. And the one thing that I did not anticipate in this process, because the project inflated and kept getting better and bigger production value and better people involved, um, that meant it took longer and more time and more money mm. than I initially anticipated. And that was a real process that was very trying uh, personally, um, you know, mentally and emotionally. Um, so during that period, I could not have survived without my old line of work. And essentially, after wrapping the film, I had to finance it to get financing for post-production. And I had to get a cut of the film because no one was financing us off of our dailies. Oh, interesting. And there's a lot of visual effects in the film. So it's hard to like imagine if you're, you know, the people I'm going and talking to for, for financing on this are not like film investors. Right. Right. It's private money. So essentially I knew I had to get a cut. I had no more money left and I started a cut with an editor ran out of money, and then I had to face the fact that I had to cut the film myself. Wow. So that's really challenging, you know, for any film director and writer to cut their own material. Yeah. And I cut that film over several months, and I kept tweaking that film till January of 2018. <laughs> <laughs> that's the disadvantage. Yeah. yeah. And that was a really challenging time of my life. The making of the film was incredible. Post-production was an incredibly challenging time of my life. Were you working uh, side jobs at the time? Yeah. So um, I had, uh, you know, essentially uh, looked at the landscape of all the people I knew in my network. And there was someone who I saw needed uh, knowledge that I had. Like, because the last thing a director needs is another director, you know. Yeah. Um, the last thing a lot of these production companies need anymore is another director. They can't even get all their directors working as it is. So I, I looked and I said, well, what can I do? I can edit, which I'm already editing the movie. I, I don't want to do that. I'll burn out. And so what, I, what can I do? Well, 
I have producing abilities, uh, and I have finance knowledge yeah. now. Yeah. Now, now you do. Yeah. After, after making a movie. After yeah. doing this movie. So I had this financial knowledge and I had producing knowledge. And essentially I started working for a colleague of mine at his company. And he was in this perfect moment in time where he needed someone who had the exact skill set that I did. And it was sort of like a serendipitous moment. And it's kind of like life finds a way in a sense. And I, I still believe that when I made that choice that... I would make this movie no matter what that like life kind of found a way for me to do it. And that's what happened. So I started working for him and essentially running his company um, in a part-time position because he didn't need a full-time, you know, executive producer, but he did need a producer, an occasional producer, and he did need someone to run his company, which I knew how to do implicitly after doing the film. And did you charge hourly or was it like a salary? Uh, I charged on an hourly basis, essentially like a consultant. Sure. Um, but in, in a way, I was much closer to the company than being a consultant. Um, uh, so I, I, I charged as a as hourly consultant plus profits of investments I made. Like I got a share, a profit share of investing the company's money. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So that was our relationship. And I still, I still do that today. Um, and it's been really great. We've grown the company significantly. Um, we, you know, are already at uh, last year's gross right now this year it's July, so, in July yeah so we're, we're, yeah. Lo- we're looking to double like a 2x that's yeah, amazing looking to double ourselves this year which yeah. is amazing that's worth and, that's worth a, a pretty I mean that's like uh, he's probably not paying you enough then <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, but I've done those two jobs I've basically been like the CEO of my movie and I've been the you know consulting c- CEO of his production company but you also, I mean, <clears throat> talk to me about some of your your other investment things that you're that you've been doing. Uh, do you, are you in stocks at all? Uh, you talk to me about. I mean, uh, we've mentioned that people are holding on to cash right now. Stocks are kind of high. We're anticipating some corrections, maybe even a, a bit of a bear market. Um, but uh, are you staying stagnant, or are you what, what research are you doing? What are you working on? So, so over the last two years, you know. I saw the power of financial intelligence and obviously started educating myself dramatically on all subjects as much as I could um, while doing the movie and working. But I have educated myself on the stock market significantly because, you know, I've done real estate conferences and I've done stock market conferences. And the truth is, is that um, real estate even though it's incredible and can give you a lot of opportunities, it is also more of a hands-on. Mm-hmm. And if you make the right investments in stocks, you you really only have to do the research and then buy and hold, right? So, you know, it's stock market investing could be an entire podcast that we could do. But what I decided I was going to do was take a year and essentially like test, like firsthand test what this world was like. Because remember for like 
29 years of my life, I hated the stock market and I thought Wall Street was evil, which, you know, 50% yes, 50% no. But I really, and I did a disservice to myself by doing that and thinking that way. Hmm. Um, Because once you really dig into things, you always find the good and the bad, right? So essentially what I did is I took a year and I said, I'm going to just test out crazy shit. And obviously I'm a big risk taker. I have a high tolerance for risk. And so what I did is uh, I started investing uh, in stocks, the money that I was making, um, you know, from my consulting gig, my consulting work. Um, And basically I pulled almost all the money out of my bank accounts and put it into stocks to grow them. And I, in 2017, obviously had a really good year because mm-hmm. the stock market exploded very well. uh, with uh, people anticipating the pass of a you know huge corporate tax cut, which happened. Um, I'm not going to say if that's good or bad for the country. Sure. Um, you know, I have my opinion and everyone has their own. But, uh, you know, these companies... Uh, grew significantly in 2017. I made a bunch of money, you know, investing, but it was kind of like everybody did. Like you could have invested in like rubber ducks and you would have like made money. In- 25% returns on rubber ducks. <laughs> yeah. So what I've learned from stock market investing is there's only two ways to do it. Uh, day trading is absolutely speculation and is not investing. And I did that and I like made big mistakes and I made big wins, but I made more mistakes than I made wins Mm -hmm. and got creamed in a couple of cases. Um, You know, investing in index funds that track the S&P 500 is Warren Buffett's advice. And if you do that and if you hold that for 30 years, you'll be fine, regardless of anything besides an apocalypse your money is going to be worth more. Right. So it's like if you if you enjoy 8% returns, which isn't super sexy, it's like it, it works out to like 0.01% a day. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's, it's not a super sexy way to invest. But like over 30 years, you'll double your money twice. Yeah. It's like and or, or more than that, actually. Yeah. And, and triple your money. That method of investing is the best method of investing. Put monthly dollars, save money every month, put it into a index fund that tracks the S&P 500. The best one out there is VOO. It's a Vanguard fund. Mm-hmm. Lowest cost, best fund. Yeah, we use uh, Robinhood. Robinhood. You and I. And so I Robinhood use- is an app that's just like... It's free. I mean, I, just, I don't understand it. It's pure magic to me. But like I went from E-Trade, which is not free and kind of expensive, honestly, to now Robinhood. And it's just like, it's just, it's that digital age of everything is free and easy. And I don't understand this pure magic. And they're probably losing millions of dollars every month. But you know what? In the meantime, I get to use this awesome service. I'm going to continue doing so. Um, but yeah, so, so I actually do um, daily contributions instead of monthly contributions and it's automatic so that so there's the 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 term dollar cost averaging which is like yeah well the market's really high right now well sure but is it gonna be higher in 30 years yes so then it doesn't matter just do five bucks a day ten bucks a day fifteen dollars a day whatever you can afford and do daily dollar cost averaging and it's 
I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Like even this year, like the stock market's been pretty stagnant and I'm still at 5% returns. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked on life because of dollar cost, cost averaging. Yeah, absolutely. And, <clears throat> and, you know, trying to time the market is impossible mm-hmm. for people like us. You mm-hmm. know, you can time the market if you own the market. <laughs> Basically, yeah. like yeah. you, you are a Wall Street and you own the market. You can try to time it, but even then they can't do it. Um, and there's always going to be a downturn and there's going to be a day you're going to look and you lost money. Mm-hmm. And what you have to do is have the wherewithal to put more in, to put more in because that's actually the time to buy. It's on buy. sale. Yeah. It's on sale. And remember, like we said in the beginning, like smart money always does the inverse of like what the market's doing. Mm-hmm. So if the market is really high, you know, you could think about selling or just hold. But if the market is low and has been beaten down and like like in 2007, people are jumping out of buildings because they lost everything. That's the time to buy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being yeah, but that's, real. The, that's, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And, so. and another thing uh, I would say for stock market investing, if you are looking for that incredible return, um, find the company that is uh, recently debuted um, that is selling at a low price to earnings ratio and has a chance or an opportunity to become ubiquitous. So what do I mean by ubiquitous? That means everybody uses it. Mm. So Netflix is that example from Mm. my lifetime. They were undervalued. At the time I could have bought them, they had a low PE ratio, but they had the chance to become ubiquitous. Yeah. Now they're ubiquitous, but their PE ratio is off the charts, and I would never buy Netflix now. Sure. Their, their, their price-to-earnings ratio is like 200. They're like teetering. They're like the leaning tower of Pisa on the edge of the Grand Canyon and like on one leg. So yeah. don't buy Netflix. But we, should, I mean, we probably should mention that uh, we don't I – mean, legally, we can't offer any uh, financial investing invi- – I mean, it's like – specific companies like uh this is this is what's worked for us but uh you guys go out and do the research and find what works for you yeah. I, think I, I think i've heard other podcasts where they throw that disclaimer in there so i'm just covering covering our butts maybe we should delete that part <laughs> this whole section <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should delete that part royce where, where can uh, people find you uh i'm at royce gorsuch on instagram uh the mad genius project is at madgeniusmovie.com you can go there and choose any platform of your preference to see the film Uh, and I've also begun creating uh, a little blog magazine uh, that is explaining kind of how I made this film in more detail it's Uh, incredible by the way it's really amazing you sent me a link that's not that's not public I don't think yet but it's super fascinating yeah and it's called madgeniusblog.com. And Perfect. there I will be chronicling the entire adventure in, in minute detail, um, you know, for your learning pleasure. Great. Man, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate you. Driving out. You drove out from what? Like Montrose, Glendale? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow.
You're such a champ. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you. It's been great.